All right. So anyway, good morning again, everyone. It's good to be here and always an honor to be sharing the word of God uh, with you all. Uh, it's always a pleasure. And as most of us know, we're in a series uh, in the book of First Corinthians. The title of the series is Church Health Matters. And we are learning about how, uh, how, how we are learning about what it's like to be a healthy church. And from Paul's writings, uh, what we're learning about is what a unhealthy church looks like. So uh, the Corinthians were a struggling church. There was a lot of issues there. There were division. Uh, there was division, immorality, uh, marital problems, disrespect, idolatry, favoritism. And many of the problems that plagued the church of Corinthians still plagued the church today. Because when you have people, it's going to be messy, right? So, um, Paul had a lot of uh, different things to correct within this church. Um, but one thing that's beautiful about correction, and this is whether it's we're learning about someone else receiving it or we're receiving it ourselves, correction is love. Paul loved the church enough that he was bringing a word of correction uh, to help them to, to live their lives uh, more in the way that God had wanted them to. So, I mean, this has not totally nothing, but not totally having to do with the message, but do not despise correction by the people that love you. It's a good thing. We, uh, sometimes our pride gets stirred up, but correction is a really good thing. So we learn, we are learning about what it's like to be a, a healthy church by looking at an unhealthy church. Um, so as we read the word, let's read the word and allow the word to even bring correction to us. And let's read it with humble hearts. First uh, Corinthians 13, 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I have nothing. And this part, I'm going to read it really slow. Because I think if you've been in the church enough, you've heard this enough that you can probably mouth it to me. But I'm going to read it slow, and I'm going to ask you guys to engage your minds and your hearts with the text as we read it. Amen. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does, does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Excuse me. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, 
the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And I know we prayed, but I want to pray again. Lord, we thank you for the love that you have shown us. The greatest act of love, Jesus, is that you came down and you died for us. You gave your life and all that we have, salvation, uh, becoming children of the Father. The peace and love that we experience, we have because you died for us. You gave it all for us. And we receive this love. And Lord, we also want to be conduits of your love. We want to reflect your love. Lord, help us to think about your love. And also uh, to just reflect it. The way that we just said, Lord. And we ask for this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So this chapter has been referred to as the love chapter, right? It's read in almost every wedding. It's on every Valentine's Day, or at least the Christian ones. Or anniversary cards. However, 1 Corinthians 13 has nothing to do with romantic love. But... The principles that we learn here about love can and should be applied in our relationships with our spouses, with our children, with our parents, with our friends. The principle, like I said, specifically, it's 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 not about romantic love, but we can apply it in our our marriages. So uh, what is the context here? Like I said, 1 Corinthians 13 is addressing a dysfunctional church. And although they were a gifted church, there were many issues that needed to be addressed. And among them was the use of their spiritual gifts. Chapter 12, um, Robert Reed preached on did a great job, uh, speaks about the importance of each gift. And it speaks about how each gift works together for the upbuilding of one another, how God has gifted everyone in the church and empowered everyone in the church to love each other by building each other up. It speaks about how we are one body at different members and different gifts and how every gift is important. And everyone is gifted, the Bible says, for the common good. Uh, so chapter 12 answers the question, what of spiritual gifts? And then if we jump over to chapter 14, it speaks to us about the how of spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 speaks to us about the why of spiritual gifts. And it speaks to us about being motivated by love when we use our spiritual gifts. So if and just a, a great principle when you're reading the Bible, you need to be able to read the context. You need to know what's before, what's after to understand uh, what, what the Holy Spirit was inspiring the writer to say to the reader. 12 is about spiritual gifts. 
14 is about spiritual gifts. Paul did not take a vacation. Then 13, I said, you know, let's talk about love. He is talking about love within the context of the church and how we love each other well by building one another up. In this church, there were uh, an uh, abusing uh, the gift of tongues. There was division. There was selfishness. They were using this, their gifts in pride. And they were stirring up envy within one another. Some of them were using their gifts to, to uh, seek attention. And there was impatience in public meetings. They were active in the gifts, but they still did not get it. They seemed to be using their gifts to compete with one another. And some of them thought that their gift was more important than the other one. But um, God, the very gift that God gave them to unify one another and to build themselves up is what they used to divide one another and to compete with one another. They seem to be overemphasizing gifts, uh, the gift of tongues and overemphasizing gifts of knowledge and prophecy. Uh, but they did not really emphasize the loving character. They did not emphasize the fruit of the spirit of which love is the first one. And, and many people say that every single gift, I mean, every single fruit is built on love. They never, but God, I mean, but Paul never told them to stop using their gifts. But he was bringing some correction in the motives behind the use of their gifts. So the big idea is that God has called his church to be motivated by love when we serve and use our spiritual gifts to build up one another. I'll read that again. God has called his church to be motivated by love when we serve and use our spiritual gifts to build up one another. So the love chapter is about being motivated in the way that we work with the other members of the church, in the way that we build one another up. Um, so I'm going to go back actually to the last uh, verse in uh, tw- uh, chapter 12 because I think it perfectly sets us up. And it teaches us that love is the most excellent way. Verse 31 of 12 says, He earnestly, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. What is this more excellent way? As we've been speaking about, to be motivated by love. Verse 1 says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's not really the main, uh, the main, uh, point of the, of the, of the message. But, um, he mentions the gift of tongues here, and Keith is going to speak a little bit more about that next, next week. Um, but one thing that, that one, one uh, point I do want to make about the tongues is that there's nowhere in the Bible that says explicitly that the gift of tongues has ceased. There's nowhere in the Bible that says it explicitly. We believe, uh, it's, it's one gift that manifests itself in different ways. Uh, one of the most ob- the most obvious one is in the book of Acts when they were speaking other human languages, right? It says that the people were able to hear them in their own languages. So one way that the gifts of tongues manifest itself is by speaking other human languages. But there seems to be another manifestation where there's a tongue that's prophetic. And when this tongue is exercised, there needs to be a, an interpretation. 
And the Bible seems to to speak about another tongue that's uh, more of a prayer tongue. It's more something of personal edification between the person and God. And God. And, there, and there's a lot of mystery here. And probably both extremes would not be satisfied with my explanation of it. But that's okay. <laughs> this is what I know for a fact. Like I said, the Bible does not explicitly say that any of the gift has have ended. And we have some brothers that were that we can fellowship with because this is definitely a secondary issue um, that, that believe that the Bible teaches that. Um, we don't see it that way. And uh, another thing that I know is that Paul teaches us to earnestly desire the gifts. He said that in, in verse 31 and also in 14 verse 1, it says, pursue love and earnestly desire the gifts. So, um, but one thing about these verses, when it's speaking about the tongues of angels, people see this differently. Um, I'm not convinced that, that the tongues that we're speaking about is what uh, uh, Paul was talking about here. I, I think he was speaking uh, in hyperbole. If you read the rest of the text, it sounds very, uh, like a little bit, like by hyperbole is exaggerating to drive home a point. Uh, he says, uh, so, so whether it's, whether he's speaking here about the tongues of man or the tongues of, of angels or the tongue or unknown tongue, tongue, what we know is that they were exercising this gift in excess and with the wrong motives. And that's the main point of this message. And if we don't, if we do exercise these gifts, but we don't exercise them in love, then it's meaningless. If we are verbally communicating, but we're not motivated by love, then it has no purpose. The Bible says here that it's like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I love when Eric is playing and he might accent with a cymbal once in a while. But if he's just going, that probably would be one of the most, most annoying sounds in the world. Besides Jim Carrey screaming in your ear. If anybody gets that, sorry. Dumb and Dumber was my favorite movie for 15, 15 years. <laughs> anyway, so there seems, to be, there seems to be a problem that they were using these gifts... And they were putting their gifts on display and they were trying to get attention and they were elevating these gifts above the rest. In verse 2 it says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And we see here Paul has continued to speak in hyperbole. Um, and, um, and, and, And basically, if we have supernatural understanding of God's word, about of God's ways, about God's will, and if we have faith to do miraculous things, but we don't do it motivated by love, then it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Even if we lay our life down and surrender our life, but we're not motivated by love, then it's nothing. Even if we give all we have, but it's not motivated by love, then it's nothing. And what's weird, because we're sinners, we could do good things, and our and sinful motives always try to creep into our hearts. And I'm going to be honest, I feel like our motives, we have several motives usually. And because I, I believe that we can't really do anything perfectly. But we want the main motive to be the motive of love and obedience to God. So we can, we can give out of obligation. 
We could give to feel like we're shedding some guilt for some, something else we did. And we could give by trying to pay back for a wrong or trying to earn favor with God. But these are not the things that should motivate us. And I think that one of the, the things that I've always asked the Lord for, and I think it's important, is for the Lord to reveal to me my motives. Reveal to me my heart. Because, like I said, we're sinners. We're gonna, our, 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 there's constantly different motives that are trying to, to grasp our heart. And we do well by being able to see them and to live a life of constant repentance and turning to God when we see these motives uh, not being the motives that God wants us to have. Imagine even giving your, li- your life up and it having no value. That, that's no, that would be rough. <laughs> So anyway, our primary motive needs to be love. And we're talking about all these gifts. Let, let me bring it within a better context. I, if I lead worship, but I'm not motivated by love, then it's nothing. If you serve in the children's ministry and you're not motivated by love, then you are nothing. If you greet downstairs and not motivated by love, then it has no value. If you make coffee, if you clean the church, whatever we do here, it needs to be motivated by love. And one thing that I'll say is like, man, if, 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 if God is convicting you or he convicts you later and, 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 um, and you're like, man, I'm not motivated by loving this, I don't think that you should stop. I think you should repent and ask him to help you to, to rearrange or, or adjust your heart to do it with the right motive. So we're not saying, hey, if you're not doing my love, don't do it. But we're saying, hey, let's work together to build up love in one another. And one of the main ways to be able to build up love for other people is to be able to build up love for God. And how do we build up love for God? One of the ways is through the word of God. God reveals his love to us. And also meditating in all that Christ has done for us. So we build up love for God by knowing him better, growing in a more intimate relationship with him. And that empowers us to be able to love one another well. So, um, man, if, if you find yourself just uh, doing something because Ellie put you on the schedule, <laughs> take time and pray and ask God to adjust your heart. And you know what? I would say that when we do that, we will find more joy in serving. So no matter how amazing your gift is or how amazing you do, if it is not motivated by love, it's nothing. And why is this such a big deal to be motivated by love? Because that's the purpose of what we're doing. The purpose of what we're doing is using our spiritual gifts to share the love of God. So it must be motivated by love. When we do things with love, it brings eternal value to what we do. We become expressions of the love of God. And we share the love of the gospel. And we love each other by helping each other know God better. And we grow in a relationship with God and we help people to grow in in sharing God's love. So love is the center of all we do. So we are to be God's hands and feet and to be like a family and to reflect to the world the love of God. So one, one theologian said it like this. 
have talking about the different gifts. The signs point to God's truth. Wisdom articulates God's truth. Self-denial becomes witnesses of God's truth. But only love embodies God's truth. You cannot love without truth because love is the source of truth. It gives life to truth. It reveals essential truth. True signs point to love. True wisdom speaks of love. True self-denial is motivated by love. Love is the more excellent way. So what kind of love is this? And when we say the word love, sometimes it's a little confusing because we say, I love my wife. And then we can say, I love steak. Or I love this song and I love that color, you know. And if these things are the same for you, then that's, no, yeah, it just shouldn't be like that. There's a more specific way of us looking at love. And if you don't get the picture, it's okay. <laughs> so what is love? So I, I, I mentioned, I have mentioned before several times that when I speak that the English language is not as deep as the, as the Greek language. So in English, we say love, but the Greeks have different words that they translate to the word, or that translate in English uh, to the word love. So we have the word eros, which is romantic love, which is love between a man and a woman. And this love takes. We have storge, which means a familial love or like a natural love or love for a, a parent that has for their child. And we have phileo love, which is brotherly love or love for a friend. And this is a more general type of love. And this love sort of gives and takes. But the love that Paul is speaking about here is very different. The word agape means uh, goodwill, benevolence, and willful delight. And this is the word that the Christians have taken to use to describe the love of God. It is the kind of love that he desires to show us, and this is God, that God desires to show us, and the kind of love that God desires for us to show to one another. It's different than the other loves. Uh, and we're not evil for this, but when we love or we choose to love someone, most of the time there's a reason why. There's something that we gain out of it. So if I... Um, if, if, if I, or even with, with, with other types of love, like when I say if I love pizza or something like that, or I love salad for all you health freaks, you know, like if you like the taste, you, it feels good when you, when you, when you eat it. Or if I love a movie, I enjoy it. Or if I love someone, I get someone, something from being with them. But a agape love is not that kind of love. Agape love is centered on giving and not thinking about receiving. Is focused on giving and not centered on receiving. With other types of love, that can end. You know, we're, we're in, in a friendship and a friendship, you know, a friend does something to hurt us. We might still love them, but we might not have that friend anymore. Or if you buy pizza and it doesn't taste good, you might say, I'm not going to eat that. So your love of pizza for there is, you know, is different. But agape is motivated by giving. It is seeking people's well-being Without anything in return. It is an act of selfish sacrifice. And agape also delights in the one that is receiving the love. 
Agape is faithful. It is a commitment. It is a choice. And it's about putting others before us. And this is the way that God loves. And we know that the word of God says that nothing can separate us from him. So this love, when we're speaking about the word love here, uh, it's just so we can have a proper context of what kind of love we're speaking about here. Love, God loves because God is love. It is his very nature. He loves the unlovable because of who he is. God's love is perfect and his, and he is always seeking the benefit of those that he loves. Agape is a choice. It's not an emotion. It's uh, not necessarily sentimental or sappy. It's not run by feelings, but it's centered in the character of God. God chooses to love because he is love. So, um, and, and we see here in, in uh, Ephesians 2, 4, it says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in trespasses, dead in our trespasses, made us alive with, uh, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The word here is agape. So God, because of his great agape, that he agaped us. I'm not sure if that works in the Greek, but. <laughs> so this is the way that God loves. But then God also teaches us this. He says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you agape one another just as I have agaped you. You also are to love one another. God has called us to love each other with the same love by which he loves us. So how is, what type? So uh, to, to love is to give, to sacrifice, and to choose to love. He empowers us by the Holy Spirit to love each other the way that he calls us to love. And will we fail at this? Yeah, we'll fail. Will we do it perfectly? No. But like I said, by the power of the Spirit, we have the ability to love people with the love of God. And when we want to love people, it reveals a lot to us. It reveals to us our selfish nature. It's hard for us to love because we are very uh, self-centered. And a lot of times we're motivated about how we feel And sometimes we're motivated by what we get out of it. But this is not the love that God has called us to be, to to, to show. Agape is done, uh, agape is not done for my benefit. And agape is beyond us, like I said. Only God can empower us for that. This is unnatural for us. When someone needs something, most of the time our impulse is just like, oh, wait, what is this going to cost me? You know, and we, and when we do love well, we still have to battle those things, right? So we usually seek our, our, our interest first. First John 3.16 says, By this we know love, or agape, that he laid down his life, and we also lay down our lives for our brothers. Love is a word of action. Agape is shown by actions. And the church of this time, they did not... Uh, Go to find the word of agape, the, 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 the meaning of agape in like a dictionary. They were able to see what Jesus meant by looking at the things that he did. They understood agape because Jesus embodied agape. Romans 5.8 said, 
God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did we deserve it? No. But this is the love of God. So we're going to look at the, the character of love now. It says that love is patient. And patient is to, to show, to, to be slow to repay offenses. To, to have agape and to be patient is to be patient with someone that doesn't deserve patience. Someone that maybe doesn't treat us right or, or is, is insulting to us. It's to, for us to love people that are hard to love. Love is kind, to be gentle with actions and words. Uh, kindness is being useful to someone, being able to bring comfort, being able to bring encouragement. And is a person that's kind always finds a way to minister to people. It says here that love does not envy. Uh, envy is jealousy. We become resentful towards people when they have something that we don't have. And we wish that we had it instead. And I found something interesting when I was reading this. I never thought about this before. I could be jealous and not, and the other person have no idea. But that still means I am not being loving towards them. Because love should desire for other people to have and to be blessed. Amen? And we might think of jealousy as a little thing, but let's remember this. Jealousy motivated Cain to kill Abel. And jealousy also made it, uh, motivated Satan to turn on God. So is jealousy really a small thing? It's a big thing. Love does not boast. It doesn't try to make other people jealous by flaunting itself. Love is not arrogant. And arrogance is what causing, what causes boasting. It is having a high opinion of yourself, being inflated or puffed up. We do not love people when we think that they're, that we're better than them. Pride, uh, gets in the way. Humility is required in order for us to love people well. So a lot of these things, like I said, they're inside and other people might not even see it. So a lot of times we're thinking about the outside, but it's the attitude of our heart to love people the right way. Love is not rude. And rude means to act dishonorably, to behave in an unbecoming manner. Not caring how what we do and what we say injure other people. So we need to be not to not be rude. Love does not insist in its own way. Love yields itself for other people. Love yields its preferences for other people. It's not selfish. It's not, it's, love is putting other people before you. Love is not irritable. In other words, it's not easily angered. It's not easily provoked to wrath. Love is not, uh, is not resentful. And the, the word here is, it's in, in the Greek is a ledger. You know, like people, when you, somebody does something, like, ah, I got you. I got you. Sleep on me. No. That is, you know, we, we, you know, and this, it's like that. A lot of times when people do something to us, we have the list behind us. And we add it to the list. And not only that, all the feelings of everything that was done to us come back. Love forgives. Love cleans the ledger. It does not, in, uh, let me see where I'm at. Sorry. Okay, it does not rejoice, uh, irritable, it's resentful. Okay, sorry. I lost myself here. Anyway, resentful is just, uh, being angry towards someone. Um, 
It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It does not rejoice when injustice and wickedness or deceitfulness takes place because we are saddened because all wrongdoing hurt people. And sometimes we're like, oh, that's a good app for that person. If someone's hurt, hurt us, that's not being loving. Love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices when truth is revealed. And truth and righteousness go hand in hand. And truth, and we, we rejoice when truth wins. We said earlier that you cannot love without truth. And sometimes being loving and truthful is hard, right? But we love each other enough that the discomfort that's there when we speak truth, we can avoid that or we can love someone enough to go past that because truth is always a good thing. Amen? Love bears all things. And this speaks of like a cover, just uh, taking on the load of life's problems and suffering, but still holding steadfast. Believes all things. And this means to, to, to trust. Um, unfortunately, because we have been unloved in the past or hurt in the past, we become suspicious and cynical. And this is unloving. I mean, there's some times that people deserve it. So it's not, I mean, we're talking about, about truth being important. It's not that we deny the truth. But when we're suspicious and cynical about everybody and everything they say, then this just reveals that we need the love of God to heal us when we have been hurt before in the past. Love hopes all things. It has a, 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 a positive, uh, Stands that does not get in, de- in despair and doesn't walk away from something or someone that seems hopeless, but hopes. It's easy for us to do that sometimes. Love endures all things. It means to remain and to stay behind even when others have departed. So when we speak about this love, what does this sound like? This sounds like the love of God. So when God, as we've said over, he's called us to take on, to receive his love and to shine his love. Love is to be the motivation behind all that we do and what we do for each other. It should affect the way that we treat people inside the church and outside the church. Affect the way we parent, the way we uh, live as as a mar- in marriage, the way we live in friendships, even the way we live uh, our attitude towards our parents. If God is agape, and we have God, then we are to agape one another in all re- our relationships. F- Ephesians five two says, "Walk in love as Christ loved us." And also for husbands out there, Ephesians uh, 5.25, when it says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. The word is not arrows there. It's agape. So, <laughs> Love never ends. 
As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So all these gifts that we have, they're, they're designed for us to be able to know God better and to make him known better. But at one point, they're going to pass away and we're not going to need them anymore. And when is that point? It says when the perfect comes. And the perfect means completeness. I believe this perfect is when Jesus comes and we finally see Jesus face to face. It says in uh, verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Children are still in the process of understanding. But then they grow and they understand more. Verse 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. And I'm adding that we will see there. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We partially understand God now. We partially uh, see Him. But one day we will be face to face with Him. And God sees everything about us. There's nothing that we can hide from God. But one day we will see God and know God as plainly as He knows us. Isn't this beautiful? Because right now here on this earth, we are trying to know Him and growing. And we have these gifts that help us to understand. And, and God gifts us one each other to help reveal Himself to us. But one day, we will see Him face to face. And those gifts would not be necessary anymore. One thing I love, um, if you uh, listen to or sing hymns, a lot of the hymns, the last uh, verse or stanza, whatever different ways they call it, is usually talking about coming face to face with God. I'm not sure if you guys have noticed that. And I love singing those. Because it's, it's talking about the reality of what our future and what our eternity is, what our hope is, and what we are waiting for. Verse 13 says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three But the greatest of these is love. Why is love greater than faith and hope? Because when salvation is finalized, the thing that we have faith in, when we receive Christ, we don't need the faith to to trust in what we already have before us. When we already come face to face with God, what we have been hoping for, right? To be face to face with God and spend eternity with Him. We don't need hope anymore. Because we don't hope in something that we already have. But what will endure forever is love. God's love for us. God, our love for Him. And our love for one another. Faith and hope will pass away, will disappear one day. But love will be forever. Love is the most excellent way. John MacArthur said, The gifts of the Spirit must function with the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit 
comes out of walking in the spirit. So in other words, the gifts that God has gifted us with, where we show God's love and build each other up in God's love, they must function with the fruit of the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit is God's character being built up in us. And the fruit of the spirit comes out when we walk in the spirit, when we live in an intimate, real, obedient life with Jesus. The gifts of the spirit, I'm going to read again, must function with the fruit of the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit comes out of walking in the spirit. You walk in the spirit and then you display the fruit of the spirit and you minister the gifts of the spirit. Like I said, the fruit of the spirit is God's character uh, and the gifts of spirit, how we build each other up. And we walk in the spirit as we walk in this real relationship with God. So, again, we fail to agape. It is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit to be able to do this. And we have the Holy Spirit living in us that empowers us to love like Jesus. We are to walk in the spirit. And this produces God's character in us. As we walk in this real, intimate, consistent, abiding in Christ, the character of God is is grown in us and comes out of us. And it is out of there that we are to minister the gifts of the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us to love and to be the motive behind the use of our gifts, gifts. And the truth is, you know, we... Loving people is hard. And what makes it really hard is that some of us have not been loved well in our lives. I know I mentioned it before. But in order for us to love people well, we need to experience the love of God. And that's not just a one-shot thing. Yes, we experience His love as salvation. But as we walk in the Lord, God continues to heal our hearts. And we need our hearts to be healed in order for us to love with the love of God. So I'm going to ask Keith to, to come up as we land the plane, hopefully. Warren Wisby says, Spiritual gifts, no matter how exciting and wonderful, are misused and even destructive. If they are not ministered in love. The main evidence of maturity in the Christian life is a growing love for God and for God's people. As well as a love for the lost souls. We want to grow in the love of God. In knowing God. And as we know him. I mean. It's not about knowing things about God. I mean, I, I, love, I love theology, you know, more than most. But the, the, the facts that I learn about God should just blow my mind and just stir up affection for Him. It's not only about knowing things. It's about knowing the God that the things teach us about, you know, that the facts teach us about. So we are to grow in knowing Him. And by this, receiving this love, we are to grow in loving one another and also to love the people that don't know him. So 
we'll end with some application points. Number one, before serving at church, ask yourself why you are doing it. Whether Saturday night when you're not on the schedule or Sunday morning before you come in, take a moment and ask yourself, why am I doing this? Am I doing it because Ali put me on the schedule? Am I doing it because I feel pressure because everybody does something at church? (laughs) Or am I doing it because I am loving the people that I am ministering to? And if you see that your heart is not in the right right place, I'm not saying to stop. I'm saying ask the Lord to just to, to, uh, to, to adjust your heart. Everything that we do here is showing love to somebody. Even the person that makes coffee is showing love to me because I love coffee. <laughs> and it's helping me stay awake when I'm tired. But a person that's cleaning the bathrooms, man. We, if we come into a, we don't realize how clean a bathroom is until it's dirty. You know? And it makes us feel uncomfortable. We are loving these children by teaching them about Jesus. We are loving their parents by being a, 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 a supplement to the parents discipling their children. If you're in the worship team, you're loving people by trying to create a space for them to have an intimate fellowship with God. Everything we do here loves people. But take time to check your heart. And ask yourself why you're doing it. And ask the Lord to help you. Number two, lean into opportunities to love when they present themselves. Man, all of us go through things. All of us have problems. All of us have challenges. And we all need to be loved by one another. Man, this is the emotional part, I guess. I have been loved by you guys. Many of you, we've had a weird couple of years between losing jobs and miscarriages and and going through foster care. Um, and you guys have loved me. You guys have taken opportunity when you have seen it to love me. And thank you for that. And when we love people, there's sometimes this little thing that we're about to, hey, oh, wait, hold up. What's, that, what's this going to cost me? What's it, what's it, am I willing? And then, yeah, we need to count the cost, but lean into those, re, those situations and trust the Lord and be his hands and feet. Be an expression of his love to one another as I have received that. Amen. Also, be intentional about finding ways to love others. The other one is more when the situation comes up. Man, get together with some people and say, Man, how can we love this group over there? How can we love these homeless people? How can we love our pastor? How can, you know, get together with other people and start thinking, Hey, what, what can we do? Let creative juices start flowing in our love. And also, the last one is serve us. With your gifts. We are all gifted. And we need you. We need you to use your gift. Because we are only complete. 
Like the Bible, the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, when we are all functioning in our gifts. So whether it's sometimes insecurity or shyness or whatever it is, we need all of you to be able to serve one another and to join us in loving and building one another. God has blessed you with a gift and God has blessed us with you. Love should call us, call, uh, should cause us to move to action. Lord, we come before you to thank you for your amazing love. You showed us that love by dying on the cross. And you have set the example that love is sacrifice. And we know that to love other people is not easy, especially when we've been so hurt, Lord. Lord, I pray for all my friends here. And I pray that you may heal our hearts from anything that stops us from loving you well. And from loving others well. I pray that you may lovingly show us our hearts and our motives behind the things that we do and why we do what we do when we serve here, Lord. And that we may receive your loving correction. And help us to see each other and to desire to love one another and to build one another up in your love and knowing you. That we may love people. And in this love that we may impact our world. It's what you called City Church to be. We ask you all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.